In episode 28 of MobyCast, we continue our conversation on VPC setup on AWS. In particular, we discuss availability and security considerations. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another MobyCast. Hey. Hey, Hey, Rich. Hey, so, um, you know, this week we have a lot to talk about because last week we started getting into what it takes to set up a VPC for ECS on AWS. That's three three-letter acronyms in one sentence. Um, and turned out that there's a lot to talk about in there. So um, as interested as I am in what you did this past week, I think we should jump right in. Um, so where we left off last week is that we were talking about attaching an internet gateway to your VPC. And um, then we started talking about routing tables a little bit. And then that got us talking about just the importance of TCP IP, understanding TCP IP networking in general and how it always comes up. Um, it comes up in, in just in your daily life at home, dealing with your computers to dealing with AWS, to dealing with stuff at, you know in the office and, your programming and everything. It just always comes up. And the more you know about it, the more valuable of a software engineer you'll be. Um, And so I think as we continue, uh, we want to be careful to make sure that we define everything and talk about things that make sense. But we do, uh, uh, you know, we do assume that there, that if you're listening, you have some familiarity with TCP IP networking. So we'll try to keep our definitions and conversation to AWS specific stuff instead of, kind of doing a, a networking fundamentals podcast. So with that in mind, um, I think the next thing to talk about is, uh, is it network ACLs or are we going to talk about NAT, NAT gateways? You know, we were kind of doing a broad survey of just all the various players that go into a VPC and its its creation and, and management. So we talked about subnets, routing tables. Um, we talked about um, what an internet gateway is. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of that is um, a NAT gateway. Um, okay. And so NAT stands for Network Address Translation. Um, and in addition to NAT gateways, some of the other major players in, in this would be just some of the security considerations, like what are network ACLs um, versus security groups. Um, and I think that will round out like the, the primary components of, of what makes up a VPC. And then after that, we can kind of start diving into more about like, okay, how do you start applying these things and what are some of the security considerations and um, availability considerations, as well as just best practices for like, how do you, how do you ideally set this up, especially with, We'll we'll focus on um, when you're running your workload on ECS. So right, what's right. what's the best practice for that? Let me interrupt real quick because I, I want to set it up just exactly the way you had set it before, which is that we had our we had set up our subnets, um, and you you were saying there's got to be a way to talk from the subnet out to the network, and there's got to be a, a way for the internet to talk. You know, if you want the subnet to be available from from the outside world, there's got to be a way to talk from the outside world to the computers inside the subnet. So the way out was the internet gateway. That's how the computers on the inside of the subnet can talk out to the net, the worldwide web and the internet at large. Um, and then the native, the NAT gateway is how they can talk in. So what, what more can you tell us about NAT gateways and setting them up? 
Right. Yeah. So, so NAT gateways are for basically NAT is when you is is is, a, is essentially a firewall. Um, so it's where you you want the stuff that's behind the firewall to be able to make outbound connections, but you don't want to allow any inbound connections. Right. So, and so so network address translation. It, it's really kind of what it what what it implies is that you are. Um, translating an address from a from a private one to a to a public one essentially to, in order right. to allow it to um to talk to the outside world and so a nat gateway again becomes important as part in part of your your as part of your vpc when you have just resources that you don't want to be directly accessible by by other machines on the open internet but yet it still needs to go access the internet itself Right, so this could be like you can think of it, maybe maybe you have like a database server that you won't you don't want your database server to be directly um, hittable by by the public internet, but maybe it needs to go have network access to download updates because you're running Postgres and you want to you want to get the latest build of Postgres or something like that, or you need to get patches or, or whatnot. So it needs internet access, and so a network um, a NAT a NAT gateway would provide that functionality that you need and that security. Um, so kind of think of it as a firewall, um, as a proxy, it's, it's basically doing some, uh, that proxying is doing some translation. So we're saying, Hey, I know you have this, this public IP, which is not addressable from the internet. Um, I'm going to basically keep a mapping of your private IP to a public IP and I will do the communication on your behalf. Right. So with the Internet Gateway and on AWS specifically, that was a managed service that AWS provides. So you don't even have to think of it as a computer uh, that you're configuring. What about with NAT Gateway? Yeah. So um, there's two two kind of flavors of this. One is NAT instance. Uh, and then there's, there's the idea of a NAT Gateway. So NAT Gateway is something that's um, relatively new. Um, we're again, kind of like value-added service added by AWS to make to make life easier for you. So it, it is a something that's out of the box, um, pretty um, makes this process a lot easier to set up. Um, in the past, you had to deal with um, basically in that instance, in which case it was much more manual where you would you would basically build your own NAT um, functionality by spinning up an EC2 and doing the um, enabling the the port uh, basically the port forwarding and just manage manage that all yourself and so you had to worry about things like throughput and you know did you have a big enough EC2 that can handle the the network load and whatnot um, so that's in that instance luckily we really don't have to do that you don't have there's there's no reason to do that anymore you can use a NAT gateway um, but the the issue with the NAT gateway is NAT gateways are um, they're per availability zone, um, and in that they have you have to um, put them onto a subnet. Um, so what that means is it, it does mean you there's some additional complexity there to kind of make sure that things are going to work um, when an availability zone goes down, um, and so. This is actually one of those things that I think a lot of folks don't really think through and and realize what the implications are. They'll they'll just set up a single NAT gateway, um, assign that you know as, as a, to to a routing table that becomes essentially a private routing table, 
Um, and, and then everything works and, and they're fine. And they may very well have multiple subnets spread across multiple AZs, but they're still not um, fully available because the, that NAT gateway, if that availability zone in which the NAT gateway is assigned goes down, then that means now all of their, their NAT functionality is, is broken. It's not going to work. So just, I, I was listening to you, but I missed one part. Did you say that NAT gateways only work per availability zone or, per, or that you have to have one per subnet? It needs to be assigned to a subnet. Okay. So, so if you have multiple... By virtue subnets, of that, it's, it, can be assigned, it has to be assigned to an AZ. Hey, this is Rich. You might recognize me as the guy who introduces the show, but is pretty much silent during the meat of the podcast. The truth is, these topics are oftentimes incredibly complex, and I'm just too inexperienced to provide much value. What you might not know is that John and Chris created the training product to help developers of all skill sets get caught up to speed on AWS and Docker. If you're like me and feel underwater in these conversations, head on over to ProDockerTrading.com and get on the mailing list for the inaugural course. Okay, let's dive back in. Right, right. But uh, again, you can have multiple subnets inside an AZ. I don't know necessarily that you would typically do that. But if you did have multiple subnets inside one single AZ, you would need to have a NAT gateway per subnet that you wanted a NAT gateway on, right? So, no, you, you just need, so you can think of it, you need to have a NAT gateway. Um, it needs to live somewhere. In AWS's case, you need to assign it to a, a subnet so it's going to live in a specific AZ. You can now have a subnet in some other AZ talk to that to that NAT gateway, right? It doesn't. You don't have to define it. Each each subnet doesn't have to have its own NAT gateway. So uh, okay. you, you can have you can have sixteen subnets in a single NAT gateway, and that's okay. perfectly fine. And that, again, this is like the common scenario. This is what most folks do. Um, okay. Right. So, but the problem is, is that if you have you're, if you're in a region with say three AZs and you have call it six subnets, there's two subnets in each one of the AZs, um, and you've created a single NAT gateway that that sits in the um, the, the AZ one, um, and so now you have the subnets and spread across AZ one, two, and three. They're all using that NAT gateway that's in AZ one. If AZ one goes down. Um, you know, you did the design so you have the other two AZs um, are still up and working. But the problem is, is now when they go try to access the internet, they're not going to be able to because your net gateway was in AZ1 and it went down. Um, so even though you did some some design to make yourself available um, when an AZ when 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 AZs had failures, you had a single point of failure basically with your net. Right, gateway. right. Now it's clear. Yeah. So, yeah. so the way around this is you basically define a NAT gateway for every AZ. Right. So sense. then you, you end up having separate routing tables for every AZ. Makes sense. So if you're, if you're spread across three AZs, you'll have three NAT gateways and you'll have three private routing tables. Got it. And then you're, now you're, you're, you're as available as you can be. So that way, if, if you know, failure in AZ1, that just means whatever's in AZ1 will be affected, but AZ2 and 3, they'll still perform just as with, without a hitch. Right on. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's, that's a bit about NAT gateways, um, you know, rounding out the components of a subnet that are kind of important would be network ACLs and security groups. And um, I think we'll get more into this 
a little bit later as we as we dive into some of the security considerations for for how to set it up. But this might be a good time to talk about just at a broad level um, network ACLs. They're being applied across the VPC and across every subnet. Um, they're also um, these rules are stateless, so you every every request, every network request has has two hops to it, right? It's the inbound request. Um, so you're going from you know computer A talking to your computer B. Um, so that's the first hop. Computer your computer B receives that request and then responds back to it. So it's the request and the response. Um, so with network ACLs, you define the rules um, for both the request as well as the response. And so it's, it's, it's called a stateless rule because of that, because it doesn't remember, it's not remembering the settings of, of, of what it was on the, re- you can have different settings on the response versus the request. Okay. With security groups, they're, they're stateful. So mm-hmm. the, you have the one, the one rule that, the, that basically is for both, it applies to both the request and the response. So that's one of the, the big differences between those two. Um, the other thing is that um, security groups are much more granular. And so you can slice and dice um, and have much more fine, fine grain control. Um, network ACLs are really good if you just want to have kind of like um, VPC wide rules um, to allow or disallow certain types of traffic patterns. So you can, you can block traffic from, you know, a certain um, IP range, or you can say, you know what, we're not going to allow, we're not going to allow any SSH on this VPC. Uh So we're just going to block port, port, port 22 is blocked, right? It's just for the entire VPC. Um, And so that's when network ACLs come into play. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You'll use network ACLs and security groups to secure your VPC. Um, So we've kind of talked about all the parts and pieces. Um, Maybe we should, we have a few more minutes. We can start putting it together a little bit. Yeah, I think now we, so we, we, and we've touched a little bit on availability considerations. So, you know, you do want to be spread across multiple AZs. Mm-hmm. We talked about internet gateways, how like that's kind of a fully managed service. Don't need to worry about that. NAT gateways you do. Um, those are basically one per AZ. And so you just need to do a little bit more work to, 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 to make sure that that is um, as available as you can be. We've talked a little bit about security. Um, that does seem like sort of a good way to kind of to, to wrap it up a little bit. Um, maybe we can say for availability considerations, we talked about needing, you know, we talked about all those three things, the multiple AZs, the internet gateway, and the net, the net gateway. But um, maybe we could just quickly define a minimally highly available uh, VPC. So that would be, it's got to be in one region. It's got to have at least two availability zones. It's got to use an internet gateway if it's if if you know it needs to talk to the outside world, and then it's got to have at least two uh, NAT gateways because it has two availability zones. Is that sort of minimally highly available? Yep, I think that that covers it. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so we actually still have time, so keep going. You sure. were go- about to get into the security consideration. Yeah, I think you know. So, so we we we've talked a bit of, a little bit about network ACLs and security groups. Again, those are, you know, we could dive really deep and spend a lot of time on that. Um, and I think we'll we'll save that maybe for some other day. Um, yep. But one of the um, maybe the the important considerations that come out of of kind of like what we've talked talked about so far is 
and you'll hear this a lot, is the idea of a public versus private subnet. Yes, this is so tricky for people, I think. Yeah, and it's so key. It's so fundamental, right? So it's this, it's this idea of basically, a, in general, a, a public subnet would be a subnet where the routing table um, allows internet access coming in, inbound from the internet. So mm-hmm. it's directly accessible from the internet. So that's mm-hmm. why it's called public, right? It's publicly accessible. Um, and so, you know, if you have resources that need to be directly addressable from the open internet, then you're going to be putting those resources, making sure those public, those resources are on a, on, on a public subnet. Um, a private subnet, right, would be those resources that should not be directly accessible from the internet. Um, and they, may or may not need to have access to the internet themselves to do outbound requests. Um, but, you know, this is definitely one of those fundamental um, design considerations that, you know, you're, you're going to want to have separate your resources into public versus private. You'll want to set up public versus private subnets. Um, and the same rules about um, availability apply here as well. Right. So if you're, if you're going to have a mix, if you're going to have both public and private subnets as part of your architecture, then you're going to want to spread those across availability zones. And so if you're spreading across three AZs, um, you may very well end up having six subnets at a minimum. Right. Because right? you're going to have three public subnets on, on the three different AZs and then three private subnets on each one of the AZs. And, and I remember having a conversation with you a while back, Chris, about this public versus private subnet thing, because one of the things that happens is you'll make a mistake setting up your VPC or your subnets and, and you'll end up in a situation where you're trying to get, say, maybe you're trying to get to a database or you're trying to get to a machine and you just can't seem to get to it. And it's like, why can I not, you know, I'm on the AWS console and I'm right clicking and I'm saying, um, you know, connect to this computer and it just doesn't work. And it's like, what is going on? Why is AWS broken? And the answer might be that, that there's no route from the internet to that, private VP, that private subnet. Um, and AWS isn't telling you that because it doesn't know that, that. All it knows is that there's a computer there and typically if there was a route to it, this is how you would connect to it. And I remember sort of saying, why can't AWS make this easier? Why can't it make it, you know, a big red, hey, this is not publicly available, this is on a private subnet thing on there. Remember that conversation? I do, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it basically came down to just it's sort of too tricky. Like the fact is that it's a routing table that needs to have a route into the subnet and not a property of the subnet itself. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's no, um, there's no button in the AWS console that says create public subnet or create private subnet. Right. It's Mm -hmm. just, this is just the convention of what, of what public and private subnets mean. Um, So it's very much a, just a networking architecture um, consideration type thing. And it's just a way for you, just a, a best practice to set things up so that you are um, uh, giving the the least amount of, of privilege and access that's necessary in order for um, your system to work. And, and then also to make sure that you're as, as secure as possible. And the, the other thing that complicate, like what you talk about, um, you know, about like, computer A trying to talk to computer B and it can't get there because of a route. Um, it's not just the route that could be in play. It could be the network ACLs are preventing that access. It could yep. be security group is preventing that access. Yeah. And that's what I was going to get at is, is like, 
when you're creating an EC2 instance and you say, well, this is the security group that I'm going to use, you know, for this EC2 instance, one of the things that can trick you into thinking that the thing should be publicly available is that you might crank that security group wide open. So, hey, anybody can talk to this computer. I, it is available. But still, if there's no internet, if there's no networking route from the internet to that EC2, it can be wide open and you still can't talk to it. And that is, I think that that catches more people than just about anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of layers here. Um, right. And any any one of those layers, if it's not configured the way that you that you need it to be, it's not going to work, right? So it's like they're like, you can think of it as like just switches and there might be three switches and they all have to be in the closed position in order for you to have connectivity. And if any one of those switches is open, it's just not going to happen. No mm-hmm. connection, right? Mm-hmm. So... And um, some of them are some of them are sort of surfaced by the AWS console, and others are things that you need to be aware of when you're creating your VPC. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. So, um, so that's kind of in general public versus private. So, the, by default, like when you create a new subnet, it's going to be a private subnet because it's not going to. It's good. It, the routing table won't have the path to an internet gateway um, defined. Um, so. If you want something to be to be public, um, like we said, you'd, you'd set up an internet gateway um, and you'd add that to the routing table used by that particular subnet, um, so that now you have both inbound um, and outbound internet access. For your private subnets, um, if they don't need any internet access whatsoever, then there's nothing you need to do, right? You just leave them alone, and, and they're basically can only talk to um, other machines that are there on within the VPC. If those machines need to, to make outbound requests to the internet, like again, like to go download patches or to make API calls to other other services or whatnot, um, what you'd need to do is use a, a NAT gateway, and so you would update the routing table such that the the machines inside that subnet have a route to the NAT gateway. Um, the NAT gateway needs to be on a public subnet so that it can now go talk to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, it ends up being pretty, pretty straightforward and simple, like what the difference is between a private and a public subnet and how to create them and, you know, what it means, you know, just the, the, the practicalities of, of setting that up. Um, but I think it's also one of those things that like, maybe a lot of people don't, don't think through and understand how it works. So it's kind of good to talk about. Great. I think that can... I can kind of wind up our conversation for today and hope, hope that people were able to follow us without whiteboards and diagrams because this is tricky stuff. Yeah, and I think it, it sets us up, I think, for, for next time to kind of like start bringing this all together and, and how does this relate to, you know, actually now that we've set up the infrastructure, now that we've built the condominium building and we've, we've laid in the, the utilities and we have electricity and plumbing, like how do we move in our our folks and actually start running our ECS workloads in here. Um, and now the practical day-to-day use, like how do I connect to those machines if I have to, to do debugging? And what does that mean if they're on a private subnet? So we can get into all that. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you for educating us. And thank you, Rich, for producing this episode. Talk to you next week. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and I invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 28. If you have any questions or additional insights, 
we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.